make his tent, but it was damp. And you remember that uh, in 2 Kings, I believe, chapter 5, when King Naaman, or, or rather the captain Naaman, came and, and had the leprosy, and, and Elisha said, go dip in the muddy river at Jordan. And he did that, and he was healed, and, and he said, let me give you something. And Elisha said, no, I won't take anything. And he left. And, and Gehazi slipped out while Elisha wasn't looking and ran after Naaman and said, you know, actually a couple guys came and, and we, we could use a couple change of garments and, and a couple of uh, uh, coins to give to them. And, and if you'd be so kind, we'd really appreciate it. And so he took that stuff from, uh, from, from, uh, from Naaman then and, uh, and he went and the Bible says that he hid it and he went back to Elijah, Elisha. And, and Elisha said, where have you been, Gehazi? Gehazi said, well, I didn't go anywhere. He covered it up. And you find that over and over and over in Scripture. Why? Because it's a natural thing that we want. Nobody wants to be discovered that they're wrong. Nobody wants to be discovered that they have done something wrong. It's natural to hide sin, but it's most definitely not right. And by the way, it's absolutely foolish because you cannot hide anything from God. You go back to all those stories, you'll find out every single one of them was discovered. Matter of fact, we gave this verse to our kids many, many times growing up. Numbers 32, 23. Uh, but if ye will not do so, behold, ye have sinned against the Lord. And we always quoted this last certain part. And be sure your sin will find you out. Hey, listen, you may be able to pull the wool over people's eyes here on this earth. You may be able to get away with it for a little bit of time. But I'm telling you this, when you stand before God in the final day, there will be no wool pulled over the eyes. Everything will be revealed. And so it's foolish to think that we can't hide something from God. So David is dealing with the concealment of sin. And listen... Can I tell you this? Some of the most miserable people on the face of the earth are Christians who know they're not living right. That's just a fact. It is. And, uh, and we'll see that at the end of the chapter, man, joy comes to those who confess their sins and just are open with God. Because God already knows every, how foolish it is to hide stuff from God. You can't. The Bible says this in Galatians 6-7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. God knows what we're doing. But David said he was turmoiled. Uh, it was like a storm inside of him because he tried to conceal a sin. Look with me in verse number 4. And we find in verse number 4, For day and night thy hand, talking to God, was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the draught of summer, Selah. Not only do we have the concealment of sin, but I tell you there in verse number four, we have the conviction of God. And listen, we know I already said that the most miserable person on the face of the earth is a, a Christian that is living out of fellowship with God and knows it and won't fix it. And listen, God's hand is heavy upon him. And David says that. He says, his hand was heavy upon My moisture inside of me dried up. And there was this, uh, there was this dryness in his soul. And, and, and listen, hiding sin is futile from God. And hiding sin makes you miserable 
on the inside. All of those people we mentioned and every other story in the Bible, nobody got away with it. Everything was discovered. And listen, even those who seemingly get away with it, they're not going to get away with it. Because someday they're going to stand before God. And so we have a concealment of sin. We have a conviction of sin. Look with me in verse number 5. The Bible says this, and I love this verse. He says, I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Listen, we have a confession of our sins. I love the fact that David started out with this word, I acknowledge my sin. Hey, listen, it is sin. And so many times we like to soften it. We'll say, well, you know, it's, it's not that bad. We'll classify it. It's a, it's a white lie. Is there really such a thing as a white lie? They're, they're all lies. It, it, it doesn't matter. Is there a great sin? or a, Listen, it's sin before God. And we need to stop peddling it as not so bad and justifying our actions in our own mind. David is like, listen, I'm not justifying anything. I am just flat out acknowledging that I broke God's law. Listen, we've got to get to the point where we acknowledge our sin, when we're convicted about our sin. Uh, I, praise the Lord. I'm glad I'm not a Catholic priest. I'll tell you that. Because I would not want to sit down and listen to all your sins. You don't have to tell me. You can go straight to God. And, and you confess them to Him. And you acknowledge your sin to God. And you say, God, I broke your law. God, I'm a sinner before you. God, I, I, I need your help. And that's what David is saying. He's saying, hey, I acknowledged my sin. I recognized that I was wrong in what I did. He admitted that by saying, I acknowledge my sin unto thee. Not only is it acknowledgement, uh, but it's admission. He claims fault. Last year, my, one of my daughters, I won't tell you which because I have five, so there you go. It's all concealed. You know it's not Christina because she doesn't drive. One of my daughters got in a car accident, and, uh, and some of you remember, it's not really a big deal, but uh, she got in an accident, and, and you know, when your kid gets in an accident, that first accident is always a big deal, and, and, uh, and, and she got out of the car, and, and the first thing she told the police, it's my fault. And, and the, police did, the police wrote on her, part, her fault, did not ask a single question after that. I mean, she had admitted fault. And, and, and when I talked to her on the phone um, afterwards, she said, I already told the police it's my fault. And I said, listen, I said, I said, never lie to the police, but never get out and tell them it's your fault. Let them do their job because you don't know what that other person was doing. Maybe they were negligent and you didn't know it. Never admit fault. But listen, we're not talking to the police, we're talking to God. And, and in the reality is, God knows we're at fault. And you know what? 99.9% .9 of the time, we are at fault. And we need to admit our faults to God. We need to admit and face the facts that, hey, we are wrong. David confesses, he acknowledges, he admits his sin. And not only that, he accepts his transgression. Look what he says there. I will confess my transgression unto the Lord. He's willing to accept whatever it is 
that God says, hey, then this is, this is the payment, then this is what has to happen. By the way, you, David's life story is fascinating. I just was reading through it and reading my Bible, and, and it's an amazing story. And I just read through the portion a couple, I guess it might have been last week, where David numbered the people of Israel. And God said, you got three options. You know, you're, you're, you sin, just because it's forgiven doesn't mean there's not a punishment that goes along with it sometimes. And, and sometimes the uh, forgiveness does not e erase all of the consequences of our actions. Uh, but the reality of the matter was David was willing to accept. He said, I will confess my transgression unto the Lord. And again, we're reminded of that verse, he that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsake them, forsaketh them shall have mercy. We live in a society and a day and age when ev everyone is wanting to blame somebody else. It's, it's, your, it's your father's fault. It's your uncle's fault. It's your great-grandfather's fault. It's your great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather's fault because he did this and that caused you to do all of this. Can we stop pointing our finger back to everyone else and just say, you know what, God, I am at fault. Hold me responsible because I made the poor choice in my life and I need to fix my problem. David came to a place where he was confessing and he was, he was open and he was raw with God. And, and, and he said, listen, God, you know everything and I'm going to confess everything to you. And listen, we need to have those conversations with God. God knows it anyway, so we need to confess it and let him know that he's right and that we do accept our error. And look at verse number 6 and 7, because the world will tell you that if you admit and if you confess fault and if you, uh, if you tell uh, God that you're wrong, then that's weakness. We find the opposite in Scripture, because that's so not true. Look in verse number 6 and 7, and I love this. This is where the chapter starts to turn, and it says, For this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Hey, listen, when you come to a place and you're not concealing your sin, but you're confessing your sin, you're acknowledging it, you're admitting it, you're owning that responsibility before, it, before God, and you're saying, God, it is my fault, but I want mercy. Hey, listen, then you get courage in your life to go to God. And listen, the Bible says it right there. The godly, for this, shall, for this, what's the this? Because he acknowledged his sin. He didn't conceal his sin. He acknowledged his sin. He confessed his sin. For this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. And he's saying, hey, it gives you courage to go to God. Look at what it says in the second part. Surely in the floods of great waters, they shall not come nigh unto him. As I read that, I, I don't know. I, you can look at that, I guess, probably a few ways. But when I read it, I ultimately thought of the great floods of waters. When I think of great floods of waters, I think of Noah. I think of judgment. And I think of the fact that, that judgment will fall. And, and he's saying, hey, that this great judgment is not going to come near unto him. 
because he confessed to God. He, he got his life right. <clears throat> he had the courage to pray to God while he may be found. Look at verse number 7. It goes on. He said, Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. Selah. Verses 6 and 7 really show the courage. The courage, number one, to go to God and pray to God and run to Him with our air and run to Him with our problems so that we can find a Father with arms wide open, willing to to forgive us. Not only that, but in verse number 7, we find that he can run to him for his deliverance. And listen, God's there. I'm not saying there will, never, there will not be consequence for our sin, but I am saying this, what a loving, merciful, gracious God we serve. I don't know about you, but I'm glad I don't get what I deserve. I mean, I'll be honest with you. Uh, God has, has been good to us in not giving us what we deserve. And we find courage to be able to run to God and find God when He may be found. And then we find that He is a hiding place and that He'll preserve us and, and that we can, uh, we can find consolation and comfort with God. We find that all in the courage of verses 6 and 7. Look with me in verse number 8. And the, the dialogue changes here, and God begins to speak. And look at what he says. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Listen, God, we find the choice. God desires to instruct us. I don't know about you but I couldn't imagine having a better teacher than God himself. I'm glad that God will instruct us. I'm glad that when we confess our sin, God, I messed up. God, I'm sorry. God, I, I don't want this in my life. I want this fixed. I want this changed. And listen, God will instruct us. What an amazing thought that God is so good to us. And that we can find the courage to go to him. And he says, hey, I will help you. I will instruct you. I will give you the way out of that. I will help you in your life. I will guide you. God desires to instruct us. And I'm grateful for God's instruction. The Bible says um, in Proverbs 12, 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. The old saying is you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. You can, you can lead a person to, to instruction, but you cannot make them learn. You can make a kid go to school, but you cannot make him learn the lessons in life. And the reality is, the fact of the matter is, hey, we've got access to the greatest teacher that ever existed, the person who made us. Man, there's no better, better thing than that. A couple years ago, I had a problem with my water heater, and, uh, or my, not my water heater, my, my house has a boiler system in it. And it's got this control panel on it. And, and I'm, I'm pretty good with mechanical, but when it comes to electrical, man, I, I'm calling somebody else because I don't know. 
And, and I was struggling with this thing. My heat wasn't kicking on and it was having a problem. And, and, uh, and I knew it was this little board. And I, I could figure out, I could punch buttons and I, I could turn the temperature up or down and I could do all this stuff. And, and, and I knew something on this board was not working right. And so I, I, called, I called a technician. They came in. They were there for uh, an hour, an hour and a half or something like that. They did absolutely nothing. They said, you got to get a new board. I'm like, he's like, and we can't get one tonight. It'll be a couple of weeks before we order one and, and get it in. And I'm like, okay, have a nice night. I sat down there for another couple hours tinkering with it. The next day, I called the manufacturer of this board. And he said, oh, here's your problem. And, and he said, it's not grounded right. You need, to, you need to pull that thing out and put it back in and make sure it's grounded right. It sounds like you're not getting a good ground on that thing. And, it, and the, the connector's not working right because of that. And, and matter of fact, he, he, said, he said, you may need to replace this part. I said, $20 part, I'll buy it. Send it to me this week. And, and so I bought the part. And you know what? I called the manufacturer because he knew all about that thing. They, made, they make those things. They sell those things. They knew exactly what it was. Hey, listen, there is nobody better to talk to than God who made us. Because he knows how we think. He knows how we operate. He knows who we are. He knows everything about us. And for him to instruct us, there's no greater instructor than you can have in the entire world than God himself. And what I'm saying is it boils down to choice. God says, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Look at verse number nine. Be ye not as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle, lest he come near unto thee. You ever seen a horse? He compares us there. The idea there is given the choice. I will instruct thee. I will teach thee. I will guide thee. But he says, don't be as a horse or a mule. You ever seen a horse or a mule? They, I love horses. And, um, and they've got this thing in their mouth. And, and when you pull the reins, man, their head goes that way, they're walking that way. And when you pull the reins that way, they're going that way. When you pull back, I forget what happens. When you loosen up, they go faster or something like that. I don't remember. And, uh, but that, what, what is all that about? It's because there's a bit in their mouth. But when you take a horse straight out of the wild... Good luck getting a bit in its mouth. Matter of fact, good luck getting on the back of that horse. Because if you've watched a Western or if you've watched uh, the, the, uh, them try to break a, a new Bronco, man, it, it's, it's a lot of work. They, what happens? What happens is they basically break that horse. That's what that's called. It's broken. It's whipped into a condition to the point that it will obey you. But it's not because it chose to. It's because it was forced to. And that bit that's in its mouth is not a natural thing. That horse doesn't go that way because, oh, I want to go that way. No, it's because you pulled the reins and he's been trained and he has to go that way. 
He's been taught and trained all of those things. He's been whipped into condition to do those things. And what God is saying is, I don't want you to be like a horse when I say go left, that you go left just because I'm pulling a rein. I want to say, I want to stand beside the horse, like stay with a horse illustration, and say turn left and not have a rein and that horse go left. He wants us of our own free, voluntary will to choose to walk and learn and be instructed and follow him. That's what he wants. Look at those verses. They're very clear. He says in verse number eight, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. And then in verse nine, be not as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in the bit, uh, in with bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. And he's saying, I want you to choose to do right. I want you to choose to follow God. I want you to choose with your life to obey my word voluntarily. And, and we have a choice and God desires that we would choose wisely in our life. Look at the conclusion in verses 10 and 11. And we'll jump back to verses 1 and 2 here in a minute. He says in conclusion, in verse number 10, many sorrows shall be to the wicked. He gives a contrast here in verse number 10. He says, many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. Like I said, I'm glad I don't get what I deserve. I'm glad for God's mercy. And he says, the wicked... <clears throat> they've got all kinds of sorrows that are going to follow them. Hey, listen, sin and sorrow just goes hand in hand and follows itself around. And those who, uh, who, who wrap themselves in sin and those who follow after uh, flesh and, and sinfulness will find the woes of sinful sorrow that, that will accompany them. And, and they'll, they'll bring upon themselves many problems. But the second part of that verse says, But he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. Verse number 11, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. In other words, hey, we don't have to be that. We don't have to live in that sorrow. They can have the sorrow. We can have the joy. We can rejoice. Why? Because we're following after God. Boy, it dumps right into verses 1 and 2 where he opens up the entire chapter and he basically tells us what he's going to teach on. Go back with me to verse number 1. We find this, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Boy, we're blessed that our sins are covered. We're blessed that we are forgiven. Look at it, he said, goes on in verse number two. Blessed is the man unto, who the, unto, unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, in whose spirit there is no guile. Uh, not only in verse number one, our sins are forgiven. And we thank God for that. In other words, hey, uh, God, I'm coming to you. I'm confessing that I've messed up. I'm confessing that I've broke your law. And he says, you know what? I'm going to forgive you. Not only does he forgive you, but he says, I'm going to 
forget it and I'm going to let it go and it's going to be covered. He says, whose sin is covered. And then he goes on and he says, uh, who imputeth not. In other words, our debt was erased. Not only the fact are we forgiven, not only was our debt paid for, but when you look back in the records, you'll find, hey, it's no longer there. Well, there is no record of our sin. It's been wiped clean. And we can say, thank God for that. It's no longer there. Go with me to the book of Romans, chapter number 4 and verse number 6. And we find that uh, Paul quotes this very passage in Romans chapter 4 and verse number 6. And he's giving us, from the New Testament perspective, that same idea that, hey, David said all of this, and it's very true. He says in, in Romans chapter number 4 and verse number 6, Romans 4, 6, Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Praise the Lord for that. That means our account is clean. I thank God for that. Man, there, there's, you know, in this world, if you file for bankruptcy, if you commit a crime, even if you serve your time, even if you, you, you take care of all of that, that stays on your record for quite a while. It follow, in some cases, it will follow you around for the rest of your life. I'm glad. God says, not only is it forgiven, not only have I covered the price of your sin, but I'm going to wipe the slate clean. And when you look back, there's no record of it. Man, you talk about blessed. We are blessed to walk around with a clean record, not because of our works, not because of who I am and who you are, but because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary for us in saving us. He starts out in Psalms 32, 1, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity. Watch this last phrase, and we'll close with this. In whose spirit there is no guile. That word guile basically means deceit. And so the idea is there is no deception between God and I, but I'm open with him. And, and I know that he knows everything, every detail about me and that he's forgiven me. And man, what confidence that gives me to go to God at any moment because I know that he loves me and cares enough for me that he's wiped the slate clean. I don't know about you. Man, that's that's, that is blessed. That is encouraging. That is a great thought. And Psalm 32 just lays all of that out there for us. And we find the concealment of sin that's natural. We find the conviction of God that hits our heart. But then we find our choice that we need to confess and the courage that we have to go to God, and that choice to follow God and listen to his instruction. 
And at the end of all of that, you find mercy, joy, rejoicing, blessedness, grace, getting what we do not deserve. And all of that is wrapped up in Psalm 32. What a great blessing Psalm 32 is. As we look at it, David totally nailed the Christian life and how we ought to uh, handle those things. As we close our Bibles and we stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, and maybe you just want to thank God for the fact that he does not impute sin to us. What a blessing. We're saved, we're born again, we're open with God. He knows us, we know him. He knows us far better than we know him. And he loves us. What a great love that God has for us. Father, we thank you for your love. Thank you, God, for saving us. God, not just saving us, forgiving where we have broken your law, your commandment. We have transgressed. We have sinned against you. And you choose to forgive us of that. Not only forgive us, but you pay the debt of that sin. And then, God, you wipe the record absolutely clean. What a blessing as a saved person to know that you would do that for us. God, I pray that you'd encourage and strengthen each and every person. And Father, we'll thank you for that. We'll give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. And Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As the piano begins to play, the altar is open.